I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday, coming off the back of a great win against Denver. You stuck with me for about 10 to 15 minutes while we go through everything that happened in that game. And then I'll be joined by Andrew Kelly from Peach Street Hoops just to take a little look into what's going to, what to expect coming up against the Hawks later on today. And then again on Friday. Where to start? I mean, this game was great. We saw a big increase in ball movement. They moved away from the spread pick and roll that seems to be their go to isolation operation. See what I did there? That's poetry for you. Other than that, there's been some good performances. I mean, Jason Tatum came out pre-game, spoke about feeling the effects of COVID. He's still getting out of breath sometimes. He said the fatigue is getting better, but it's still something that they have to manage. He went 6 for 18 from the field, only hit 33% of his shots, only 1 of 8 from downtown, but he did get to the line 8 times. So while that jumper isn't looking smooth at the moment, it feels a little bit forced. Sometimes I think he's settling for tough shots rather than consistently looking to move the ball and I know there was a time or two where Neesmith was wide open and he looked him off to go to an isolation play. Some of that may be confidence, maybe he's trying to look to get himself going a little bit. Definitely not something to worry about at this moment in time, but it's something that we need to at least keep our eye on. Going 8 for 8 from the free throw line is great, it's something that we've been asking from Tatum for a while. But what I do like about his stat line is the fact that he managed to grab boards. He was quite consistent in the rebounding department, came up with one offensive, five defensive. And more importantly, he was operating as a facilitator. Now, when the Celtics play with ball movement and they like to get that ball swinging side to side and really attack off ball, coming baseline, running ghost screens, Tatum's assist numbers are always one of the leading numbers in the game. He finished with eight some of those were complete dimes. Others were nice little drop passes. And some were just hockey assists that got counted. You know, he passed it to somebody expecting them to pass it on, but the shot was open. Overall, a solid performance from Tater. <sighs> the next one up, though, this is where the real performance shows, right? And that was Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown was fire from deep. He went 5 for 10. 50% shooting from the three-point line. I tweeted this out during the game. The Celtics seem to run him as like a trail man during the fast breaks. And that allows Jalen to kind of receive the ball in motion and step into that three-point shot. And he always looks more comfortable shooting above the break when he steps into it. Very confident there. He also had five assists. So you can see that the more they're swinging that ball and moving away from that isolation pick and roll, the more that you start to see the potential for both of these wings as facilitators. I'm very happy with that. I feel like Jalen Brown's game is slowly improving in terms of ball handling and vision. That jump shot looks real now. I said this, I'll say this with Andrew, which was recorded before the Denver game, uh, when you listen to the second half of the show. But obviously, when a guy comes in hot, you have to question whether or not that's just a hot streak or whether what you're seeing is legitimate improvement. I think the sample size is good enough now that we can confidently say that Jalen Brown is now a, a killer. He's a mid-range killer. He's a killer from deep. I always feel very confident when I see him turn the corner and drive the lane. He still loves that rip through. If he catches the ball in motion and wants to get down, he'll kind of catch it in a hop. So he's got that momentum coming down towards the hoop. Couldn't be happier with the way he performed, to be quite honest with you. Defensively, he was great. I think most of this team were locked in for large stretches of the game, which isn't something we've seen recently, 
especially not against Detroit or Washington, where it was the complete opposite. They were locked in for moments. So when you're looking at these two wings, everything else, the question hasn't been about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, right? I mean, the questions have been around the supporting cast. Kemba Walker, can he figure it out? How are the Celtics going to utilize a bunch of young guys coming off the bench with very little experience? This is when you see games like this that you begin to think, well, maybe these young guys can play a role. If you look at Peyton Pritchard, he didn't really have a great scoring night, wasn't terrible, went three for five from the field, one of three from deep, but he finished with seven assists. So he was the top assist maker, top playmaker, I guess what is what we're going to say, coming off the bench. He was teeing up guys left, right, and center. And when the ball isn't, when the shot isn't falling for you, or it's not finding you in favorable shooting positions, make that extra pass and good things will happen. I like the fact that Pritchard has came into this game. He's seen that other guys are hot. He hasn't tried to force his own agenda, but instead he's looked to keep teeing guys up and look for next man. Another young guy that really showed growth, and this was a guy some people were considering a bust just two, three weeks ago, was Aaron Neesmith. Two for four from the field, but it was the defense, right? He had that chase down block, which was a foul, but still, it was a block. But it's that help defense that you see the operating on the um, the low help line, rotating over from the weak side, scramming guys out. Just high effort plays. You saw that one play where he dove for the loose ball on the sidelines, managed to force a turnover, got the Celtics back on the sidelines out of bounds play. His movement off-ball on the offense is also great. He knows when to lift. He knows when to sag off. He knows when to relocate from the slot to the corner. A bunch of good stuff. And he looks like he's NBA-ready in terms of physicality. This is all just about getting feel for where you need to be on the floor. A lot of the questions were about, is he NBA-ready in terms of understanding the sets? Is he NBA-ready in terms of being able to cope with the speed of the game? The short answer is no, he wasn't. Is he now? Not really, but the effort level he's putting in will afford him the time on the floor to be able to keep improving there, keep getting more reps. And that's what it's about, right? You need these guys to get reps. that You don't expect them to all to come in and be Luka Dantich level of good straight away. They just need to keep seeing the floor and keep figuring stuff out, and then the incremental improvements will come. When we're talking about incremental improvements, Rob Williams has to be another guy that we speak about. There was one play when he was first on the floor, I think it was the first quarter, he got faked out of his skin by Jokic. Jokic took him, I think he faked him with his eyes or a little shoulder twitch. Rob Williams jumped and then Jokic got the easy bucket. That was probably the worst defensive play we saw from Rob Williams in this game. A, re- a lot of the time he was where he needed to be, kind of settled down as the game went on, locked in a little bit more. Finished the game with eight rebounds, four, um, four for four from the field two assists and five steals. He led the game in steals, which is insane because he was so high energy and so active. He was playing up on the perimeter. He was playing drop defense. He was switching great. Flashed that mid-range shot, which I'm a big fan of him doing because obviously with his facilitation skills, as he keeps getting better, he can slowly develop into a short role offensive hub. Poor man's Bam Adebayo is kind of how I describe him, but more athletic. So maybe it's a similarity more than a, a poor man's version. Again, though, like he's missed a few games with um, hip soreness. He had that hip edema last year. So it's something that Celtics need to monitor. It's also something that needs to be remembered when contract discussions come up or when trade discussions come up. Because for all the talent in the world Rob has, you need to be confident that he's going to see the floor regularly because you can only develop when you're playing, right? 
and with the lack of the G League this year, there's going to be more competition for places from young guys that want to play. Luckily for Rob, he's the only young guy in this rotation as a big guy. I kind of class Grant Williams more as a four than a five, but I do understand Grant operates better as a five. Interestingly enough, he didn't play in this game. Got a DMPCD. This is Grant, by the way. He has been better the last few games, but I can understand why Brad Stevens is using him in favorable matchups when he's on the wing because there just isn't enough room to consistently put him at the five. It'd be great if there was, but it's just the way things are falling. At the moment, Rob Williams is playing great. Christian Thompson is good. There was a possibility we could have seen him more at Smallbourne in this game, just simply because Daniel Tice was out. But the Denver Nuggets have some great size. They're a tough team. And if Brad Stevens didn't feel confident that Grant could give that level of competitiveness, I'd say, fire, um, then... By all means, keep him out. Good news is Jeff Teague didn't play. Jeff Teague didn't play. The Celtics managed to get 26 total assists. Go figure. Not saying it's Jeff Teague's fault. Nuts. But what I am saying is there is a correlation there. Semi gets another start. Is he a starting caliber wing? I mean, that's a question we need to ask ourselves. Is he? Um, I mean, defensively, he had some good plays. There was a play late in the game where he did up Jokic, managed to absorb the contact, forced a miss. Jokic was getting whatever he wanted against whoever was guarding him. So to see Ojale step up and at least make it more difficult than what we'd seen from other guys. And that's no disrespect. I think Tristan Thompson guarded him exquisitely. It was just that Jokic had the size, so he consistently managed to get clear looks at the rim. That's not Thompson's fault. It's just the way it is. And when you're playing Jokic, sometimes you just have to live with him getting hot. But my concerns is I understand that Shemi spreads the floor. He opens the spacing up a ton. It's nice to see Brad Stevens has kind of moved away from that too big lineup at this moment in time. But if there is going to be a trade discussion, maybe you do realise that Semi Ojale, for as good as what he has been in the last few games and for the spacing and defence he provides, he isn't really a starting wing on a championship team, right? I mean, that's that's got to be a common consensus. If I'm wrong, then tweet at me, let me know what you think. But for me personally, I think that he needs to be coming back off the bench, but only when the Celtics have acquired somebody that provides them with similar spacing and similar defense, but a higher level. Overall, he went three for nine from the field, two for seven from deep, four rebounds. Sorry, four defensive rebounds, one offensive rebound. And then we've got Kemba Walker. Uh, Kemba looks like he's playing better, right? Like the stat sheet doesn't show everything. He, he was teeing guys up all through the game. Only finished the game with four assists, but if you look at the ball movement that Kemba had and the rotations he forced by just probing the defense, penetrating off ball, penetrating on ball, and just looking to make a pest of himself, then we can start to think that maybe we are seeing Kemba Walker slowly working back to form. Finished the game 5 for 13, 3 for 8 from deep, 4 for 4 from the free throw line. I'm not too concerned. His burst looks there. There was a play where he looked like he'd hurt his shoulder. Luckily, he's okay, but that was a concerning moment. But overall, he wasn't looking off guys too frequently. He seemed to want to get everybody involved. And then if we look at the way the Celtics played this game, when they had that win against Toronto, they ran a lot of get actions, which is basically a dribble handoff, but there's no dribble. It's So the ball handler will pass to the big man or the wing whoever's running the, the handoff action and then they will literally go and get that ball back from whoever has the ball so that's why it's called a get action because you give it to them and then you get it back 
but it creates a load of rotations defensively because they have to react to the to the handoff itself. They have to guess whether you're going to curl off the screen or come back over the screen, similar to rejecting it and then driving. This game wasn't so much of get actions. It was a lot more ghost screens. They were running um, semi-ogile operated in ghost screens a lot. We saw um, Jalen Brown run them a few times. Peyton Pritchard had his moments in them. Uh, Aaron Neesmith did too. And then there was a lot of cross-court curls. So guys were curling into the paint and then relocating back out to the weak side slot. And it was just forcing defensive rotations consistently. And as the ball's moving and people are cutting off ball, then spaces and lanes are going to open up and you can attack the seams. When we look at Denver, I mean, Denver had a good game. I was shocked Michael Porter Jr. went 0 for 8. He didn't look great. Missed the first couple of shots and then his head seemed to drop a little bit. Jermichael Green, I was a big fan of him when he was in the Clippers. With the Clippers, I should say. Uh, didn't really do much offensively. I mean, to be quite honest with you, anyone not named Jokic and Murray didn't have the best offensive game. We saw a little bit of RJ Hampton, new young rookie, high-energy guy. He went two for six. But the story is really what Jokic did, right? I mean, he went 16 for 23, three for five from deep, eight for eight from the line. And he just looked like he could get anything he wanted whenever he wanted. Did seem to gas out towards the end of the game. I mean, when you're carrying a load like what he did, that's completely understandable. Does this mean the Celtics need to go and trade for a big man? Not really. Who are they going to get that can guard a guy like Jokic? It's There's only a finite amount of bigs in the league that are elite, right? You've got Anthony Davis, Nikola Jokic, Bam Adebayo. Carl Anthony Towns offensively, defensively, he's not there. Outside of those, there might be one or two guys I'm missing. I'm kind of just riffing at the moment, just a stream of consciousness. But once you get past them, you have to play big man by committee. That's why you have two or three big men in your rotation that you can rely on different on different times for different matchups and different offensive schemes. That's why Daniel Tice is your floor stretching big. Tristan Thompson's your glass cleaning big. And then you put Robert Williams in there for your rim running and vertical spacing. And obviously he offers a different form of rim protection. So no, just because Jokic dominated this game does not mean that they need to trade for a big man. Because Semi Ojale is starting at the four, do they need to trade for a wing? That's far more likely, right? I mean, I feel more confident saying that the wing, the four position, is weak compared to what the five position is. Last point I want to make on Tristan Thompson, there's been a few times over the, the whole season now where he's getting hit with some real nice pocket passes and fumbling those passes. Do we miss Enes Kanter? I mean, Enes Kanter had great hands. He was always able to catch these passes. He, he was much better than Tristan Thompson at converting rebounds into points or he would reset the offense. I still think Tristan Thompson brings more grit and more championship know-how. I just want to see him improve his ability to catch the ball on these low passes. I feel like sometimes they're a bit too low for him. He plays very upright. He's, he's got quite a high center of gravity. So when he's having to catch the ball low down, it seems like it's really difficult for him, especially on the move. So that's something to watch out for. Just means that the Celtics have to adjust the way they pass to him. It do he doesn't really need to adjust too much. It needs to be Kemba just putting a little bit extra bounce on those pocket passes, or they start finding ways to feed it over the top or to his chest. Can't really complain there. That seems to be about everything that I've got, really. I mean, this is just a quick recap. I think that the Celtics played much better. The question is, can they put two games of this ball movement together and do it again tonight against Atlanta? 
we were saying very similar things, very high praise things when they done this against Toronto. They went out and had two stinkers after that. So the one thing is it's great to do this for one game sample sizes, but we want to see it put into two, three, four, five, six games runs. Otherwise, we're just we're getting we're getting glimpses of what this team is capable of, but we need to see that consistency start to blend into the game plan now. We're getting closer to the all-star um break. Obviously, Brad Stevens, once the all-star breaks ended, likes to cement those rotations, cement his game plan. So hopefully things are starting to get on the right track at the right time and we, we start to see the Boston Celtics that we're hoping will make a conference finals or a finals appearance this year. So in the next half of this show, I want to be joined by Peachtree Hoops, Andrew Kelly. We're going to speak about what the Hawks have been struggling with, why they're on a, um, a bad February. They're one and seven, one win, seven losses in February so far before yesterday. They're struggling in the fourth quarter defensively. We talk about how the Celtics are going to match up, what Andrew's curious about from the Celtics' perspective, and then we'll just kind of look at coaching and offensive and defensive schemes and how their teams match up there too. Guys, thanks for listening. I try not to do these solo segments very often. This was just because the game finished at 2.30 a.m. my time, and by, I'm recording this at 10.30 a.m. in the morning UK time, which is like 5.30 a.m. East Coast time which is, what, 2.30 a.m. West Coast time, it was very difficult for me to kind of find anybody that would jump on the show and go back and forth with me. But now I've got that for the second segment, so I'll catch you guys again on Friday when I'll be joined by Bobby Manning from Celtics Blood, and we'll talk about what we see from Hawks Game 1 and the adjustments we want to see in the Game 2 of that Hawks game. We'll catch you again after the break, and you can hear what we expect to see from the Hawks. What's up, everybody? So in this segment, I'm going to be joined by Andrew Kelly from Peachtree Hoops, uh, SB Nation Hawks coverage. Andrew he does a ton of work on Twitter. If you want to follow him, um, I'll let him drop his Twitter handle in a moment. We're going to preview what to see between the Celtics and Hawks. Uh, they're going to play twice this week. So we're recording this before the Denver game on Tuesday. And then straight after to tonight, when you're listening to this, there'll be a Hawks game and then again on Friday. What's up, Andrew? Thanks for joining me, man. Hey, Adam, thanks for having me on. And uh, my Twitter handle was at A-N-D-L-A-N-K-E-L-L-A Kelly. And you guys will get some great coverage today. He does a lot of um, great film work. His stat knowledge is really high level. We're going to kind of take you down a little bit of that echo chamber. And we're also going to give you a bit more of a general overview of what to expect. So I think the first place to begin is how have the Hawk, how has the Hawk season gone so far? Well, they started out four and one, uh, so they started out about as well as possible. Uh, had a very good offense, their top five in offensive rating at the time. Um, but since the turn of the year, it's it's been rough. They've now lost seven of their last eight games. They are zero and ten in games decided by eight or less points. They have the worst uh, fourth quarter uh, fourth quarter differential in the league. So it's 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 been rough for them. DeAndre Hunter um, recently had surgery for a torn meniscus. And he's going to be out seven to ten weeks. So right now they are just very much just trying to right the ship. It feels like a Celtics uh, discussion all over again. Um, the Celtics are doing really bad during the second half of games too. Um, they're losing a bunch of tightly contested games, and then they're also giving up some blo- um, some blow up losses to teams you'd be expecting to win. The Hawks have a little bit more of a leeway here, just because 
they've got a lot of youth on their roster similar to Boston's, but I see it as more high ceiling youth than what the Celtics actually have. And then, but you've made some really good acquisitions during the offseason in Gallo and you brought in Rondo. How has that gone? Because one of my biggest concerns for the Hawks coming into the year was there may be too many mouths to feed and not enough touches to go around. I think your last point is probably true. Um, but for right now, it hasn't been a problem just due to injuries. Um, they signed Chris Dunn. He was yet to play this season. Uh, Bogdanovich went down with a avulsion fracture in his knee, and he's going to be out um, at least a few more weeks. So he hasn't played very much. Gallinari twisted his ankle early in the season, and he's been on a minutes restriction for almost the entire season until recently. So they've gotten very little from their uh, offseason addition so far. It's really just been, um, of course, Capella didn't play for them last season, so they have him now, and then the guys from last year. And that kind of explains, uh, at least to some degree, why they haven't been very good. They're just missing a lot of pieces, and DeAndre Hunter was playing so well before he got hurt. Um, so right now, like I said, they're just trying to keep their heads above water. One of the interesting pieces you have that I feel like um, hasn't either has I haven't seen him play enough or he just has, hasn't had the playing time over the first two seasons in the league, uh, last year and this year, would be Cam Reddish. What is he getting a lot of playing time? Is he a guy that Celtics fans would need to watch out for off the bench? Or is he kind of not exactly where everybody would hope he'd be by now? I think what you said, the, the, the final part of that is true. He was very impressive from about January until the suspension of the season last uh, March. He had been playing very well, shooting the three ball well. He's a good defender, so he always has that as a baseline, but he's under 30% from three. Uh, he's very inefficient, turns it over a good bit. Uh, he has looked a little bit better, I think, at least in my eye test the last couple of games. I think he's starting to maybe calm down a little bit, but his decision-making isn't good. Um, he's really playing more than he honestly should right now simply due to the injuries. Kevin Herter, uh, I, I would think he would be probably more of a factor in this one. He's likely to get the start. A good shooter, a good secondary creator. But uh, Reddish will play a good bit and will likely start just to have an option for, for Tatum. When you're talking about having options on the floor to kind of counter what the Celtics are going to be putting out there against you, obviously the Celtics are going to come with Tatum and Brown. And then Kemba will most likely not play if he plays against Denver because they're keeping him out of back-to-backs. So where do you see the primary matchups for this game coming in? I think you'll have Reddish on Tatum. Uh, Reddish just moves really well. He's, he's good at getting around screens. So he's probably the guy they would have match up there. They don't really have a good option for Jalen Brown. Uh, likely to be Kevin Herter, and that's going to be difficult, very difficult, especially with as well as uh, Jalen Brown's played this year. Had they had Hunter, they would likely do Hunter on Tatum and then Reddish on Brown, but they don't, they don't have that capability. So they really can't defend both. Uh, they might be able to have some effectiveness against one, but it's going to be difficult to stop both uh, in tandem. Luckily, the Celtics are going very ISO-driven at the moment. Uh, again, this is before the Denver game, so they may figure something out that kind of makes this little bit of the segment outdated. But generally, the Celtics are running a very high spread pick and roll. Um, your turn, my turn between Tatum and Brown. Uh, what teams have generally been, generally been doing is using a drop defense and then asking their wings to pinch and just shrink the floor. It was something that Miami did excellently during the playoffs. And I think a lot of teams have kind of taken a leaf out of their book and then added their own spots to it, whether that be um, defensive uh, tag man or whether they're going to rotate out. What type of defense has the Hawks have the Hawks been implementing in terms of pick and roll defense this year? 
it varies for them depending on really personnel. Uh, they've been trying to use Capella closer to the rim. Um, he's generally has a reputation of being like a very mobile big. Um, I think they've been playing a little bit more drop to try and get him down into the rim. Um, between him and Collins, Collins is a really good help side rim protector. They're generally pretty good at limiting shots at the rim and making you miss. So they've been trying to pack the paint a little bit more. Um, so they, they really do vary their coverages, but I think you'll see uh, Capella drop more. Because Capella's mobile enough to show, right? He's good enough to play up to touch on that pick and roll and then kind of stay in front of the ball handler as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, he, he has. He's gotten his mobility. At the start of the season, he was moving extremely poorly. Um, but really, over the last month or so, he's starting to get that back. And they do diversify what they can do um, a good bit. But right now, they're just so limited as far as like how they're able to how, how they're able to defend. Because when they have Hunter, um, he's really good at funneling to the rim protector. And now that they don't have him in there anymore, they're just allowing a lot more penetration. And John Collins is usually your weak side guy, right? He's either guy you usually ask to come over and provide secondary help on the uh, across the low block. Yeah, that's his special defensive skill. I tell you, Celtics fans all over the world are hoping that you guys decide that you don't want to extend John Collins. I will kind of take it there for a moment. Um, everyone I speak to, a huge fan of Collins. How do you see him long term? Do you think he's going to remain a hawk, or do you think he's one of the pieces that could perhaps become movable? I think it's about 50-50. After they didn't agree to an extension with him, they were uh, reportedly trying to get for $90 million. He He was obviously seeking more. He sees himself as a max guy. And the 2021 free agency class is very rapidly depleting. There's a good bit of teams with space, and he'll be one of the top options. Um, so he has a good chance to get a good deal. Um, know, knowing that, they obviously don't want to lose him for nothing. But at the same time, it's very difficult to trade him and get back an equal player. Uh, he's I would say he's probably somewhere between, you know, top 50 to top 75 player in the league right now. Most metrics would support that. So he also doesn't make a lot either. So it's kind of hard to send him out and get back something that uh, matches with him. Um, there has been uh, reports that they're basically either seeking like a, you know, a top kind of player, like a star or more realistically, like a high lottery pick. That was what was uh, included in the, the Shams report. So I think a team, if they're able to give, you know, match their asking price, I think there's a good chance they do. Um, but it's going to be tough to find that kind of suitor, especially when they're trying to win. That's the big kicker, right? It's not like the Hawks are trying to remain bad or they're pursuing somebody themselves in free agency. This is simply about keeping cap space available for when other guys' extensions are due and not not castrating yourself this early while you're right. still figuring out what pieces are available to develop. And who just isn't going to get, get over that line into becoming a high-level rotation piece and a contender. So right, exactly. I mean, it's tough, right? I mean, I've seen it with a couple of the Celtics players over the last few years as well. And you do kind of have to pick your poison. You either risk losing him in the offseason for nothing. or And um, the Celtics did that with Marcus Smart. They played their cards very close to their chest and then managed to get him on a very team-friendly deal. That was... After the, do you remember when the all those huge deals got handed out when the cap spike happened? Yeah, um, Marcus, yeah. yeah, Marcus Smart just fell very unlucky and was a free agent once every team um, had no cap space due to that year. So they got lucky. I feel like there's going to be quite a few suitors for John Collins, as you said at the moment. Top seventy-five guy. If we're being conservative, he's probably one of the guys that worry me the most, along with Capella. 
Um, Daniel Tice is missing the Denver game with a index, a right index finger sprain. It's, I don't see him being a huge factor against Atlanta. Um, possibly won't play in game one, more likely to play in game two. So that makes me more concerned because Tice is the guy that's a very clever defender, similar to Capella in the sense that he can play as a play up top and show. He can rotate, he can hedge, and he can play drop as well. He just doesn't have the physicality to contain somebody like Capella that is an excellent rim runner. Um, so that would put him up against Christian Thompson primarily. Who do you think is going to get the, the edge in that battle? That's a good question. I know that Tristan Thompson has struggled offensively this year. He has really poor numbers, like on putbacks even, but he still has good size. Um, John Collins is 6'9", 6'10". He doesn't have like a great wingspan, but he has an awesome motor. I would obviously lean Collins um, just at this point in their careers. But, you know, Thompson's a vet. He has good size. T Collins at sometimes has, has struggled with guys that can kind of um, present matchup issues with length. If you're able to stop him from getting all the way to the rim, um, he doesn't have like a great floater. He's not a really a good passer. So if you can get him in that kind of area before he can get all the way to the rim, um, you can't limit him. But I, I would favor Collins in that. He's just playing so well. It's 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 going to be tough. And he's somebody, too, that can obviously shoot. Um, he's over 40% from three. It's not super high volume, but it is close to four attempts per game. Um, so you have to deal with that as well, having to come out and guard him there. Um, so I, I would favor Collins, and I think that's probably Atlanta's sort of edge in the matchup. It's just the front court. And do you guys play a lot of five out, or are you playing more of um, a four out with Capella as the role man? Uh, how do you operate predominantly on offense? I know sets change as the game flows, but what is like the most predominant aspect of your half court offense that you see from this team? Basically, they typically run with two bigs with with Capella and Collins. Capella has just been such a big defensive uh, difference maker for them. He's a, sort of like a stabilizer. He keeps them organized, and he's raised the floor of their defense. Um, but the trade-off is he's not very good offensively. He hasn't been as efficient as he's been in previous years. And um, even though Collins can shoot, you still have spacing issues there. So basically, they run a lot of too big stuff. Uh, they occasionally get into horns. Um, they'll go double drag when they're moving quickly. So that's when they'll have, you know, Capella diving and then uh, Collins popping. But what they do have the ability to go five out with Gallinari and they'll play Collins at the five and Gallinari at the four. They even sometimes use Gallinari at the five. So they do have the capability to go five out. But for, for the most part, you're going to see Collins and Capella. That's similar to what the Celtics are doing, to be quite honest with you. If they've got um, Grant Williams playing at the four and Tice at the five, they'll run more of a five eight based offense. But then I've, when Tristan Thompson's in there, you're going to see a little bit more traditional play. One guy I did notice that got some minutes against Indiana when I watched that game because I was just trying to at least get a feel for how the Hawks play was Skylar Mays. And obviously he wasn't expected to play much. I'm assuming injuries may have forced some hands there. But what have you seen from Skylar Mays early in the year? Yeah, I'm glad you, you noticed him. He uh, was a second-round pick from LSU. Uh, he's a he's a good scorer. That's basically his. He's he's got a lot of craft. Um, he's a good scorer. He, he was very versatile at LSU. We haven't seen very much much of him so far. He's on a two way deal, so I don't have like an extended, um, I guess, opinion of him. And there just hasn't been enough of a sample size. But he has looked good in the Indiana game, and he looked good uh, last night too. But um, I think you'll probably see some. They kind of alternate between him and Brandon Goodwin, often using them in the backcourt of late. 
but I, I don't think that he'll be too much of a factor there. If he does, then that means he's probably getting away from Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> Two-way guys have a way of um, sometimes showing out. I see um, we saw it a little bit last year with Tremont Waters. Uh, somehow he managed to stay with his team. But uh, no, he, well, he did look good. He was somebody that caught my eye. And then I was I remembered doing draft podcasts um, coming into the offseason last year. He was a guy a lot of people had as a bit of a sleeper. So seeing him get time early is great. And I, I do like the fact that the two-way guys this year can play 50 games. Yeah, um, I, I feel like that's, Yeah, I think that helps. I don't know whether that'll be something they might look at keeping, but then that negates the impact of the G League. So there's pros and cons to everything. Getting back to the Hawks a little bit, I'm looking at your month-by-month um, month statistics and um, win-losses predominantly. Uh, you're one, one for eight in the win, one win over eight games in February, if I'm looking at this correctly. Yep, that's right. That is, um, and that one win is obviously, who was that against? Toronto. Yeah, which is, makes sense because Toronto were struggling themselves. Um. What's been going wrong? Is it, is it simply the injuries or does there seem to be a bit of fatigue setting in? Injuries are probably the single biggest factor. And I just have to emphasize again that Hunter was playing extremely well. If you look at various, you know, uh, metrics like estimated plus minus, he was top 50 in that. So he was really playing at an extremely high level. He's a very valuable shot creator for them. But the main issue has been a complete inability to win in the fourth quarter. Like I said, that they're 0-10 now in games decided by eight or less points. So they just have a total inability to win these kind of games. Basically, if you can trade baskets with them until about five minutes in the game it's and then try and limit Trey's shooting attempts, there's just not a lot of other guys that can create their own shot and beat you. Uh, Reddish just isn't efficient enough. Herter has ability but doesn't really draw free throws, doesn't really get to the rim. And then Collins and Capella can't really create their own shot. So really, if you can sort of add extra pressure on Trey in those minutes, it's just tough for Atlanta right now because they just don't have that other secondary creator. You're also 0-5 in back-to-backs as well. Has um, has that had anything to do with the, is that again injuries or is that more fatigue? Because I understand that when you've got a roster as young as what the Hawks are predominantly, inconsistency is something you have to live with. It's going to happen. The guys are going to get hot one night. They're going to be cold another. Would you put that down partly to your issues going back-to-back, or do you just think that you've had some really tough matchups on these back-to-back games? I think they've mostly been in these games. If you look at games against, like, uh, I can't remember all the back-to-backs, but they're, they're generally in them, at least. But it's just, again, games just get away from them in the fourth quarter. They have a lot of blown leads. They've blown a lot of double-digit leads heading into the fourth. And probably some of that is fatigue, particularly with Trey. Trey's been, uh, he's been trying a little bit more defensively. I don't want to assign him too much credit as far as like defensive improvement, but he's trying for longer stretches, and they're trying to hold him accountable more there. And I think that does have an effect on fatiguing him. So his decision-making and just, you know, he's just fatigued in the last five minutes of games. And because they rely on him so much there, um, it's just, it, it hasn't been successful for them. Yeah, so I can see you guys are 29th in fourth quarter defense. Um, only team worse than you is Brooklyn. Boston are sitting at 19th, so they're having their own struggles in the fourth quarter too. So this could end up just being who's making shots. If it's a close game coming down the stretch, it's just going to be which guy gets hot for the last uh, quarter of the game. Uh, how's Trey Young been coping with this year? Because I know that last year there was a lot of questions around his defense his effort levels on defense when i saw him against indiana he still looked fantastic offensively 
but he still did seem to get a little bit lackadaisical in transition, uh, predominantly defending transition. Oh yeah, like like I said, I don't want to assign him too much credit because he's still one of the worst defenders in the league. But he is at least better uh, than last year, and they've done a better job of sort of making up for it because Collins has played well defensively, and they added Capella, um, so they do have a little better personnel as far as hiding him. But yeah, it's just it's it's hard to really say with Trey. Um, there's always kind of been issues with him and the coach sort of permeating. Um, so it, it's hard to really say where his head is at. Um, so I, I don't really have too much to to add as far as that. But uh, he does have issues, I think, with just sort of wanting to dominate the ball. He has he's he's he doesn't really try <laughs> off the ball. He won't relocate for threes. He doesn't really try to make himself a threat when he doesn't hold the ball, and that can create issues. And I think some chemistry issues with teammates. And is this for? So when you're talking about chemistry issues, people are getting, they're calling him out basically for not putting in the defensive effort. I would say a lot of it is just uh, dominating the ball more than is necessary. I think obviously defense is going to be a problem, but you might have seen it. There was a piece in The Athletic last month about like a film room session where Trey and Collins sort of like got into it. I mean, I, I don't think it was like a, a, a huge deal, but Collins didn't like like the early shot clock attempts things like that. I just think sometimes Trey's not the best at keeping teammates engaged. And what about the coaching situation? This is a big thing with Boston media at the moment is um, Brad Stevens is catching a lot of hate, mainly from the fans, um, just because of the way the Celtics have struggled to find consistency this year. How's Atlanta's situation with um, Lloyd Pierce? I would say it's not good. <laughs> he's, I would say he's on the hot seat to some degree. And it's actually interesting you bring that up because he would not be coaching either of these games. His wife is uh, giving birth, so he's returning uh, home for those, uh, for that. So he'll miss both of these these games, and they'll be coached by Nate McMillan, who is, of course, recently the, the coach of the Pacers. Um, so it would be very interesting to see how they perform with, with McMillan rather than Pierce. And Nate McMillan's a respectable coach in his own right. Is that um, a topic of conversation that's floated around in um, Hawks media, whether McMillan's there to eventually succeed Pierce, or is that a tandem that you've seen kind of improve the on-court production? Yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely out there, and not just in Hawks media too. I mean, you'll see some in, in national media. It's just, you know, when you've lost seven of your last eight games and you're not winning any close games, there's obviously going to be attention on the coach. Um, injuries obviously are a huge factor again, so you can't really put you know everything on Pierce. And they've been in a lot of these games; it's, it's been execution too. But yeah, there there is a, a lot of smoke, I guess we'll call it there. Um, so if McMillan were to do really well in these games, you know, if they were to bounce back and you know split these or you know win both, I'm not saying that's likely, but definitely it would it would create more intrigue, I think, around the coaching situation. It's not unlikely either, especially with the way Boston have been playing the last few games. Um, it is what it is, though. Like in a COVID hit season where everything's truncated, there's a lot less practice time available. I feel like coaches are getting that extra bit of leeway just because it's much harder to implement any form of yeah, yeah. ideas. So when we're looking at the Celtics, is there anything that you've kind of got that you're interested in knowing about or any matchups that you feel like you're in need of a discussion, basically. Is there anything going on where you're kind of like, I wonder how Grant Williams is playing or so forth? 
I'm curious at all what you've what you've thought of uh, Aaron Neesmith. Has he played much at all this year? No, it's been very stop start. Um, he's had minutes here and there, and to be fair, when he first came into the into the league in the first few games he played, he looked like a deer in headlights. Um, playing as most rookies do, um, playing at like ultra high speeds, didn't really know where he needed to be on offense or defense. He was kind of getting signaled where he needed to be positionally on both sides of the floor and it was really rough um that kind of went away after like the first two or three times we saw him he started to seem a little bit more comfortable on an nba floor and then what we are seeing from him now is just pure grit and hustle um defensively he's actually shown to be a better defender than what most people expected coming into when he was coming into the league um great help defense there was a couple of plays against I'm trying to think who it was against now. Against Washington, where he really performed well. Though there was one where he recognized a, sh- a switch that had Kemba guarding um, Mo-, Mo Wagner and scram switch Kemba out of there. On the next play, he rotates and gets um, a really good shot um, altercation. Alters the shot. Yep, not an altercation. He alters the shot. Um, and at most times, he looks like one of the more hungry guys out there. We're just not seeing his sharp shooting tag convert at the moment, but it's still early. Uh, definitely a guy that I feel like is building a reputation as a p- potential free and D guy more than a sharpshooter guy, which in my opinion means he'll hold more value in any trade discussions if he keeps showing that. I was also curious too about your your wider thoughts on their offense so far. Krishna Narzu of D-Ball Index t- tweeted earlier today some stats on their offense that essentially put that their offense so far has been about seeking out like some of the hardest shots, like they're not getting a lot at the rim. They have a very difficult shot profile. I was just wondering what you think about their their offensive philosophy so far. It's been rough, to be quite honest with you. Um, Real bad. One of the main things that I will say here is Brad Stevens has always been a coach that preaches secondary creation and look working for the best shot. He's never been one to be a three, five seconds or less guy. He doesn't really mind if you work the ball to find the best look. This year, it's and in the playoffs last year, this, it's been a lot more um, isolation-based. So you will see um, Tatum or Brown pick it up at the slot, take a screen. If the driving lane isn't there, instead of looking for the next pass, they'll just reset and go for another pick and roll. Uh, very limited play calling going on at the moment. And it is very much, it does feel like they're looking for the worst shot possible. And nine times out of ten, that's just because the, if the driving lane isn't there, they're resetting. And before you know it, they have to take some form of shot because the, the the clock's expiring. So it has been quite rough, very stagnant. I think they're ranked 20th in the league in time to shoot. And most of that time spent is usually in isolation. Yeah, and they do at least have two really good isolation scores. I've kind of been going through isolation stats lately. Uh, PVP stats you might be familiar with. Um, on their Patreon, uh, they have the option to filter shots that are self-created and the proxy that he uses for that is a shot that comes after holding the ball for two plus seconds and Jalen Brown has made really a tremendous leap there if you look at it compared to last year like a tremendous leap and expected field goal percentage or effective field goal percentage on self-created shots Um, do you think that's something that's going to continue with him throughout the season yeah I feel like the sample size is large enough now to feel like that's a jump that looks legitimate at first it was very much we 
Jalen Brown kind of altered his release last year. So before he'd release on his way up to the apex of the jump. And then last year he started re uh, releasing right as he hit the apex. And his shot looks a lot cleaner for it. His mechanics looks a lot smoother. This year, it, obviously when guys start having a, a hot shooting streak, you kind of wait to see whether that comes down to earth, especially at the start of the year where it could be an improvement or it could be just starting the season warm, you know? Um, I feel like the sample size is large enough now to feel like this is something that's going to continue. His mid-range game has improved tremendously. He's, um, showing, he's shown growth as a catch-and-shoot guy, especially from the corners. And then his athleticism, he's one of the only athletic guys really on this team that you really trust running the break and finishing around the rim along with having the handle to go north south and feel confident about him not losing that dribble so yeah i can i can see those improvements uh, on a night-to-night -night basis and i do feel like those improvements are legitimate at this point yeah it it looks real to me too i was just curious to hear from someone who watches the team a lot closer than i do if, if he thought that was something that was going to sustain i guess kind of finally for me i, I was curious to get your thoughts on what you think like big picture wise as far as whether you think they might pursue a big and some kind of you know trade or signing or something like that do you think that they'll they'll make some kind of move to get a big yeah i mean it needs to be done in terms of at the moment and i've said this quite a few times i feel like the team's straddling between two timelines right like um contending now and um rebuilding and what's happened is obviously jalen brown jason tatum's growth has expedited the we're now timeline they're ready to contribute to a contending team now and to do that at the moment the bench is like so inexperienced it's ridiculous i tweeted out yesterday i think it was or the day before like um five or six guys on that bench have got under 100 nba games um some of the guys that have been in three years have played less than guys been in two years and when you look at their big rotation when in in terms of the five spot i kind of un i kind of understand that unless you have an elite big man we're talking Jokic, Embiid, uh, Bam Adebayo. Then what yeah. you need to do is you need to have um, like a big boy committee, right? You need a guy that can protect a the platoon. rim. Yeah. A guy that can um, space the floor. And they have that in what they have at the moment. They have Rob Williams as a rim-running vertical space guy. Tristan Thompson is your rebound guy. And then Daniel Tice can stretch the floor and do a little bit on the pick and roll too. So I think their biggest weakness at the moment is the wing. And that's why you'll see a lot of media attention on Harrison Barnes and John Collins. And if they are very serious about making the Eastern Conference Finals again this year, or they have aspirations to at least make a finals appearance this year, then a few trades will need to happen because the roster is currently constructed, just doesn't have the NBA know-how to be able to get there. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. And Robert Williams is always interesting to me too. When he was coming out, I, I liked him as a prospect. He was someone who drew comparisons actually to Capella. Do you think he's going to be someone, I mean, obviously they'll want to get somebody more experienced in, but do you think he's someone who's going to be interesting in the future? Yeah, I mean, he's flashed so much potential as um, a short role creator that I feel like you have to at least give him time to develop. He's missed a lot of time through injury, and I think that tag might hamper his um, trade stock in the first place, which might mean it's more valuable to keep him than to move him. Um, he's starting to work on a bit of a mid-range jump shot. Um, doesn't look too smooth at the moment. He leans back a little bit on it. But overall, if he can figure out how to stay on his feet instead of biting on every pump fake on defense and can get a little bit more heady with guarding rotations he gets caught a lot when guys turn the corner on him and bat screens just send him through the ringer but there's definitely potential for him to be 
a very valuable big man in this league, especially again as a as a short role creator. Yeah, and, and short role playmaking is so important too. I think that's been really an issue with the Hawks is that neither Collins or Capella are very very good passers there, and it just makes their pick and roll less dynamic. So any ability to do that is is definitely something valuable. But overall, I think you know both teams are are not playing well. Uh, Atlanta has been worse of the two, and it's I think it bears a mention again that. Atlanta is going to have Nate McMillan coaching for these two games. So I'd be curious to see if they might have some different energy to see how they play there. Um, so they're, they're hurting injury wise, but they still have a good core three right now of Capella, Collins and Trey. Those, those three have good net rating together and Gallinari is somebody who can have a big game. So I'm really curious to see how, how this set goes. It should be fun. Yeah, I'm excited. I like the games where teams aren't performing fantastically because there's always that scrappiness to it and you get to see which team really wants it more. Like, um, especially with a team like Boston where they've always had that reputation of being one of the more, um, scrappy, gritty teams that fight for every possession. And now we're seeing them, in my opinion, buying into their own hype a little bit. This will be a game where I really want to see them dig deep. And teams, as you say, generally do play well when there's a new coach on the sidelines. There's a new, there's a renewed energy, new ideas, a fresh outlook on how to, how to operate in the game. I'm curious to see what adjustments are made. And I'd like to speak to you about this via Twitter after the game. What adjustments you see that are different from Lloyd Pierce's coached Hawks to anything new that Nate McMillan implements? I understand it won't be huge, but there's always going to be small nuances that might change. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Too. Hopefully one of the teams will get some momentum from this, at least. Hopefully. It's a two-game miniseries. I'd be happy if they split it, to be quite honest with you. Um, if the Celtics can come away with two wins, great. If the Hawks can come away with two wins, then that's great for you. Um, we'll, we'll know more by the end of the week. I do want to say thank you for jumping on. I know that you've not long finished work, so you've done me a huge solid in jumping on. Um, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you and if you do work outside of Peachtree Hoops? Yeah, most of my stuff is going to be on Twitter. I write for, for Peachtree Hoops from time to time, but you'll find me at A-N-D-L-A-N-K-E-L-L. My handle is A. Kelly. Mostly Hawks stuff, but I, I touch on stuff around the league. I'm just kind of interested in team building and keeping an eye on as many teams as I can. So I'll, I'll do some draft stuff, um, a lot of stats, content, and then uh, film stuff for the Hawks. All right, guys, so thanks for listening today. Obviously, you had to put up with just my voice earlier when we were talking about the Nuggets. I do apologize for that. I try not to let that happen too often. And we'll catch you again on Friday where we'll be talking about the win or loss against the Hawks and then the impending Hawks game again. So it might be a little bit like Groundhog Day. Thank you for jumping on again, Andrew. And guys, if you've enjoyed this, leave that five-star written review. And if you don't want to leave a written review, that's completely fine. Just tell your friends about the show and maybe they'd like to. And we'll catch you again later in the week.